Welcome to the Dental Code Advisor Podcast, hosted by Practice Boosters coding experts, Dr. Charles Blair and Dr. Greg Grobmeyer. Interpretations of the CDT codes represent the opinions of our experts. For the latest CDT codes and official interpretations, contact the American Dental Association or visit ADA.org. You are responsible for your own use of the CDT codes. Tune in now for timely information regarding dental coding. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Dental Code Advisor podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Greg Grobmeyer, and I've got a very special guest with me today, Olivia Wan. Olivia is an attorney. She is formerly a dental assistant and dental lecturer. She still is speaking on topics of compliance and that kind of thing for the dental industry. Her background is in dentistry. Now she's an attorney. She's a very well-educated and very appropriate person for us to speak today. We were just talking before the podcast started about kind of your journey. You were actually working in a dental office and decided to go back to college. Spent a good 10 years, you said, getting your education while you were working in dentistry. Is that right? Yeah, Greg. So I I left private practice and started consulting simultaneously, went back to school. So it was a 10-year journey. I was on the pay-as-you-go plan. (laughs) So it it took me a while, but uh, I was able to do my bachelor's in healthcare management and my doctorate in law and enjoy working with dental professionals. And I'm honored to be on your show. Fantastic. And she also informed me that she did for a while teach coding, which is now what I'm doing. We have a lot in common in that respect. So thank you for paving the path. She uh, promoted Dr. Blair's books back in the day, Coding with Confidence, and just glad to have this knowledge base uh, that we can tap into today. We're going to really talk about compliance issues. We're going to talk about CDC compliance, OSHA, HIPAA, several things like that. This is stuff that you still lecture on. Yes, actively. Uh, We're working with dental professionals week to week, both in meetings, CE events, online courses, on-site in dental offices. So yes, we embrace it day to day. So you're living, breathing this, you know it, and you're up to date on everything. And that's the reason we want to tap into your knowledge base today. So with everything that's been going on, gosh, we're coming off of COVID thing. The world really changed for dentistry in the last several years. And it's continuing to change, even though we're not actively in COVID stage where everything shut down and the world came to a screeching halt. We're not doing that anymore, but getting back into this new norm, as they call it, and figuring out what you should and shouldn't be doing to stay within the guidelines that are handed down by the federal government, it's crucial. We're wanting to make sure everybody's playing by the rules and they're not getting in trouble. So what are some of the changes that you've seen coming off of the pandemic? Well, it was a frustrating time for sure, Greg, when the CDC was publishing updated guidance so quickly. We'd learn it and teach it and then it would change and be revised. It's difficult to stay up to date and, and we get that. But What's confusing people right now is that even though the mask mandates have been lifted in most areas for the general public, dental professionals must still follow CDC's guidelines for COVID as it relates to healthcare facilities. And so that can be confusing when there's different sets of guidance for healthcare versus general public. So I encourage 
people to review the guidance, make sure they're landing on the correct pages of cdc.gov, and maybe even download them to be sure they're using the current information and have their policies correspond with that. For example, since COVID, post-COVID, there's more attention to air quality and minimizing aerosol. So many of the dental practices we've served have installed HEPA filtration units to minimize the aerosol droplets. And not just with COVID, there's other things that you can inhale that could be transmitted via aerosol influenza, which has long been around. And then also keep in mind, Greg, that CDC published that when the risk is substantial to high to COVID on a community level, then for aerosol generating procedures, it is recommended to wear an N95. We want to be sure that their policies reflect current guidance. Absolutely. The uptick in PPE was significant. You know, we had dentists going from barely wearing gloves and a mask to some of them out there looking like astronauts, (laughs) which may be taking it a little too far. I don't know that, you know, surgical gowns and double layering and, and everything is necessary to stay in compliance or to properly keep you safe. That may be overkill, but there are certain changes that are still mandated. You're absolutely correct. And that we're needing to be conscious now Prior to COVID, we were really concerned about bloodborne illnesses and almost all of the precautions that we were taking with the masks and the gloves had to do with bloodborne illnesses. And this came off of the changes that happened in dentistry with when HIV first came out many years ago. Prior to that, people were barehanded, barefaced going off into people's mouths. Just wash your hands and go from patient to patient. You know, I, I can remember a time when I was young that dentists weren't wearing gloves. So the world has changed and it evolves. And so we've gone from being so concerned about bloodborne illnesses to now also concerned, appropriately enough, about airborne. That's the changes that are happening now. And it's not really something that we really focused on before COVID. Air quality aerosols, things like that, making sure your high vacuum systems are working correctly, that you're minimizing all those aerosols that are flying around the room. Because high-speed handpieces really do kick up a lot of stuff. They really do. Yes, you're right. Are there any other things from CDC you think are major changes in compliance that dentists need to be aware of that they may not be? Yeah, we are expecting some updates. I attended the OSAP conference recently, so there are some updates that are ahead. We will still get enlightenment on biofilm, water issues. The Anaheim case in California has taught dentistry a lot where children were infected with illness caused by poor water quality that was used for phlebotomy procedures. So we are awaiting some updated guidance. And also OSHA is looking to publish a standard that will address airborne transmission, including COVID uh, and other airborne transmittable infections. There still may be significant changes coming that may even further guide the usage of aerosols and things within the dental office then. Yes. Speaking of OSHA, I know that you also do OSHA mock inspections and things like that. You go into dental offices and kind of look for violations, look for things that dentists may not be aware of. What are some of the common things that you see dentists are missing? Most often it has to do with their documentation. 
for example, Greg, I'm working with a dentist right now who has some OSHA violations. OSHA wants a copy of her paperwork, so she engaged my services to be the middle person and deal with OSHA. And I can see from looking at the paperwork, there are discrepancies. For example, the training rosters, that's a common violation. You can't just pass around a piece of notebook paper and have everybody sign it. It has to be compliant, meaning we need the instructor's name and credentials. We need the topics that were discussed. We need the name signatures of the attendees and their designation, whether they're a hygienist, assistant, dentist, office personnel, and whatnot. A safer device, safer medical device evaluations have to be conducted annually, so they will look for those as well as the Sharps injury log. And if anything is listed on the Sharps injury log, they want to see the corresponding Sharps or incident reports for the individual employees, chemical inventory that corresponds to the safety data sheet, employee medical records. They're specifically looking for vaccination records for hepatitis B virus or at least declination documents. So those are common violations that I've seen over the years. And it's interesting, Greg, because we interviewed Don Hall, who is a retired TOSHA officer. And I know you're a fellow Tennessean. So we had Mr. Hall on the Compliance Divas podcast, which is one that I'm a part of. And he listed pretty much the same things that I'm saying right now. He inspected over 200 offices and saw the very same. We have probably inspected over a thousand offices. So it was interesting to compile data And we started grading the inspections, Greg, because we thought that dentists could relate to a grade, just Mm -hmm. like when a restaurant is graded for their inspection. And when we initially visit an office, commonly they're scoring about 40% out of 100. No one would dine in a restaurant that had a 40. Absolutely. It's kind of one of those, we preach it too, you can speed regularly going down the highway. And it's only when you get pulled over by the police officer that you realize that how much trouble you could be in. A lot of these dentists have been doing it this way for a long time. Nothing's ever come of it. They think it's fine until they have a problem. That's when they do get an inspection, when something does happen and they're having to present all this proper documentation, they realize how far off they really were. It's a lot better to be ahead of the game, understanding the laws, knowing what should be done and how to do it correctly. And so having someone like you come in the office and and take a look at their particular methodology for documentation, I think it's a winner. I mean, it's very crucial to make sure that you're in compliance and that you're staying within the law. If anything ever does happen, then you're in trouble. So true. Let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about HIPAA for a minute. That's one of the things that you mentioned. What are some common gaps in the dental office's HIPAA compliance? Similar to OSHA, they're missing their policies. You can't just purchase a manual and put it on the shelf. And especially if the manual was purchased years ago, because dental offices must comply with cybersecurity as well as the federal rule HIPAA. And there are certain policies to have in place to reflect small healthcare facilities such as dental offices. And we find that training is inadequate and, and anymore to have a good firewall that's a human firewall. So that involves lots of training. 
discussing how to avoid clicking on a phishing email that sends a link to give up your credentials or access your system. I've actually had that happen, Greg, in a, a dental office where an office manager was using her personal email account. A cyber criminal accessed that free email account and intercepted communications with the manager and the bank because they were in the process of borrowing money to purchase a large x-ray unit. Oh, wow. And the funds were automatically deposited into the criminal's account. So if we follow the best practices for cybersecurity, we should not be using free consumer accounts in a dental office. And so we would learn that through training. Now, a common violation is right to access. So if a patient asks for a copy of their record, we have to respond timely. Otherwise, it results in costly fines. And HIPAA, unfortunately, made a couple of dental offices an example and cited them with thousands and thousands of dollars because they didn't provide a copy of the record in time. Yeah, and that's changed a lot with the 21st Century Cures Act has come out. The whole open notes part of that has really made it even more so where that's on-demand access to patients. I suspect as we go forward, we're going to have practice management softwares that have patient portals, very similar to the way that medical offices already do. I don't think dental is far behind on that. And so then you've got a situation where you've got a bored patient at two o'clock in the morning just deciding they're going to look at their dental records, their charts. They can look back both at their financial transactions and the actual clinical notes of what's been going on. And so you're going through a chart and you see something about the patient was difficult or any kind of language that's, that's bad or something that doesn't look on top of things. And this litigious society that we live in, I suspect with more access, there's also going to be more lawsuits and cases come up directly through improper documentation. We're actually working on a documentation book currently that should be coming out at the first of the year, Documentation with Confidence. It's going to be a companion book to the Coding with Confidence and Administration with Confidence books that we already have. It's going to be about the chart. It's going to be about what goes in the ledger and what goes in the chart and making sure that those records are great because that right to access that you're talking about of those particular documents, it's more and more going to be an issue. I can tell. So true. And that's one of my favorite topics to talk about because we're receiving support calls from dentists that their auxiliary staff are just copying and pasting the notes. And so if you look at the last five patients, they all have the same blood pressure. It means they're just pasting it in. Now I've I know seen you've seen, seen that too, huh? actually submit the same x-ray to insurance. They've got one x-ray that really shows that this tooth is broken down. So whenever they need a number 19, they go over here and pull out this number 19 and will submit that to try to justify the treatment that they're doing. That's fraud or it can be construed as. That's just lying essentially in order to gain reimbursement, which will get you in some big trouble potentially. So true. And and that's, once again, training is critical to avoid those mistakes. I worked with a dentist years ago that didn't even know that was going on in his office, but he had to answer and he had to refund all the money back to the insurance company. Absolutely. Because the dentist is the buck stops here person. They're ultimately responsible. And that's the reason that their name is going on that claim form when they're sending it in, saying that everything is true and accurate to the best of their knowledge. They are stating, even when the front desk person is putting their signature on there, 
they are the responsible party. And so if they don't know what their team is doing, then they'll still be the ones facing the consequences. Yeah, I agree. And as far as HIPAA's concerned, we probably see more violations day to day that relate to the privacy rule. And once again, that could be remedied with good training and, and bringing up topics during the daily team meeting and also staff meetings, uh, not disclosing information to unauthorized individuals. And for security, encryption is critical, making sure that the data is encrypted. We're not emailing information over an unsecure network. Really identify all these flaws through the process of a HIPAA risk assessment. It is mandatory that we conduct one. We should be conducting one every year. And we look at the areas to determine where are the vulnerabilities and threats to our database. And if a dental office has a breach and that results in an audit from the Department of Health and Human Services, then we want to make sure we've got that documentation showing that we've been doing our part, particularly with the new law that was published in 2021, the Safe Harbor Rule, that if dental offices and healthcare offices in general, if they are following the best practices for cybersecurity and there's a breach, then they may be relieved of some of these hefty penalties and lengthy audits that take place following a breach. Because they were doing their best and they were in compliance. And as long as that you were doing your best and that you were in compliance, then they're going to treat you a little better than if you were just flagrantly unprotected. They do consider intent and they do consider what steps you have taken in order to protect yourself. That's a consideration, certainly. Just like multi-factor authentication, you know, that is a best practice for cybersecurity. It may be annoying to get a code either on your email or on your phone, but that could just insulate you from having a breach and it's something easily to add to your practice procedures. So all of this should be part of the dental office's policies and procedures. And people, I mean, really, the policies are not any good unless they're followed. And people need to follow what they've incorporated into their practice. Absolutely. And there should be a specified HIPAA person within each office in order to be compliant. And they ought to be keeping up with all of this information. It's very difficult for a team member a chairside person, a, a person who's hip deep in phone calls or paperwork all day for one of these people to also take on all the issues that could arise with HIPAA or with any of these compliance issues, not just HIPAA, OSHA, the whole CDC guideline thing. It's a lot to keep up with. That's why I think it's so valuable to have someone like you, a third party who just focuses on these aspects of a practice. To me, it's like when you get that root canal that you just can't seem to get down the canals or the, the root is twisted, it looks weird, it's above your pay grade, then you're going to send that out to a specialist. You're going to find somebody who does this and this is all they do. And that's you. And this aspect, this is your specialty. This is the thing that you do and you do it all day long. And so you do it very well. Someone like you coming in, this third party, you're not entwined in the office anyway. So you're objective. You can look in and you can really tell what is happening and not happening in the practice. I think that's so crucial to have that, to make sure that you are in compliance. You may not have to do it every year, 
But certainly, I think coming in and just having someone like you audit the practice versus actually having OSHA come in and audit the practice, that's significant. You're not going to find people if you find something wrong. <laughs> right, right. And, and Greg, I think the same th- is true with coding. If someone does not know how to code properly, don't just randomly pick a code. And now we have a fraud case against the practice. They need to be educated and be trained like people like you, that that's your area of focus. And we can keep all of the codes and records accurate and clean so that they're audit ready. That's a term that I use with my clients as it relates to OSHA and HIPAA, that day to day, you need to be audit ready, which means you are doing the right thing. You are adhering to those requirements. Absolutely. Documentation, documentation, documentation. It comes back to that almost every time. And you're right, using the right codes. We're trying our best. We've got lots of webinars, seminars. We're traveling around the country giving lectures on that particular topic. And of course, coding with confidence has been kind of the go-to in-depth coding resource that's out there. The ADA puts out great materials. We try to stay in alignment with what they have to say. Dr. Blair refers to them as God speaking. They're kind of the the buck stops here. They create the codes. And so they are ultimately responsible for the interpretation of those codes. And we try to follow what their interpretation is and make sure that message gets all the way through to the dentists, making sure that you're staying up to date with coding resources. Every year they change. There was 46 changes last year. There were 61 the year before that, I believe. Next year, I believe it's 45. And there's changes to some pretty significant codes some day-to-day used codes that are coming 2023 rolls around get some new coding resources research that figure out what's changed and make sure that you're using those codes correctly some of the codes are still going to be valid codes but their usage is different without staying up to date on that information you may find yourself using a code in the same way you've been using it and all of a sudden you're using it incorrectly because the definition changed It's just like with HIPAA. We expect these privacy rule updates very soon. And unless people are keeping current, then their program will be outdated and obsolete. It is a constant job, isn't it? Just trying to stay up to date. It's drinking out of the fire hose. This barrage of changes that are happening almost every day. It takes listening to the people who focus on these things, staying plugged in with people who do specialize in these things to be able to relay this message and make sure that you're staying compliant within your office. Olivia, it's been wonderful having you today. It's been a wealth of knowledge. We've talked about some really critical things that are going on within dental practices across the nation. I hope that they'll reach out to you if they need to get a hold of you and ask you further questions. Do you have some contact information you could share? Sure. Telephone number 931-232-7738. And they can also visit me online at oliviawan.com or shoot me an email at olivia at oliviawan.com. And my last name is spelled W-A-N-N. And I sure appreciate it, Greg. Thanks for having me on your show. Absolutely. And we hope to have you back again if we've got specific topics that we want to talk about. We may dive a little deeper sometime into some of these particular laws or acts or things that are coming along. I'd love to have you back. So guys, thanks for listening in. I appreciate it. Catch us next time on the Dental Code Advisor Podcast. 
This podcast is brought to you by Practice Booster, an e-assist publishing company. To learn more, visit dentalcodeadvisor.com.